Revelation, this is week 42, and it's really going to start to get better now, I promise, because it's been a lot of judgment lately. <laughs> but today we, got, we get to start to celebrate some of the victory. So the, uh, the sermon this week is called The Greatest Party Ever. So have you ever, have you ever been invited to a party or an event so special to the host that you felt honored that they just thought of including you at all on the guest list? I mean, just being included in it means that they loved you. The occasion is rare. The venue, you hear about where it's going to be is beautiful. The food is going to be great. The people that you know of that are attending are already precious to you. You know, maybe it's a wedding celebration for a close friend or family and Maybe it's a celebration of a milestone in the host's life, like, you know, retirement or something like that, or, you know, or maybe it's the gift of, let me say, like, off the top of my head, like, you know, gift of Super Bowl tickets to, you know, your childhood team playing in their own stadium, watching your favorite player of all time, Tom Brady, win another championship. I'm saying something like that. You just know when you get this invitation, you just know it's going to be a great day. Oh, I can't wait for this party. A moment in life where treasured memories are going to be made. And it's a day you start to anticipate. It could be 10 months away. You put it on the calendar. And it's so exciting. It's so important. You want to be ready so that you can enjoy every minute of it to its fullest. So even months away, you start to prepare. But your preparation isn't just about you. It's also about the person you want to honor them by showing that you took it seriously. The person who thought of you enough and loved you enough to invite. You want them to know that you are honored by the invite and you wouldn't miss it for the world. You ever said that to someone? Oh, I'll be there. I wouldn't miss it for the world. So you're going to make sure you're ready. You don't wait till 24 hours before the feast. Maybe you decide months ahead of time, I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to make sure I pick out just the right outfit. I'm going to buy it on time. I'm going to get it to the, ta- you know, get it altered or whatever it is you people do to fix clothes that need fixing. <laughs> you book your travel way ahead of time because you want to get the right tickets or the right place. You don't want to, like the day before, oh no, the plane's full. What do I do? As the day gets closer, the excitement is building. You're filled with gratitude. You can't wait to get there. You check, you double check everything, and you know that you are ready. What is it the young people say? It's going to be lit. Is that something that they say now? I don't know. I don't know. So that's how I was feeling this week as I studied this passage and wrote this sermon. That's what I felt like that God was trying to teach us. Are you ready? Let's go. Let's read the passage today in Revelation chapter 19. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God. Now you understand that this exact scene has already been described for us at least three or four times in Revelation. This is another example of the same scene but from a different camera angle. For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth, that's Babylon, the world system that Satan controls, with her immorality, and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more, they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever. 
The 24, and the, the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Alleluia, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice, exalt, give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast or the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these words are the true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But the elder said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Isn't that a beautiful passage? I mean, I don't know how you can read that in community and not just love it. There is some important history for you to understand. I want to teach you about this feast circuit that was very common in the first century. There was a big social significance about if you threw a big wedding feast or any type of party. In ancient times, this feast circuit was representing the ultimate trifecta of religious, personal, business, and social life. Feasts were held for a variety of reasons for those who had the means to do so, including celebrating high holy days or personal success or, yes, even the biggest feast, a wedding feast. But none were more grand than that marriage feast. And these things, listen, these weren't like, you know, what we see today with weddings. These were colossal. Thousands attending, if not hundreds, if not hundreds, thousands. They were not limited to one day. In fact, they could last for days Sometimes a couple of weeks. And feast competition, I'm going to tell you, it was fierce. Hosts are, are striving to make theirs the biggest, the best, the greatest, the longest, the most lavish, the most important feast ever in that region. And the more influential the host, the more prestigious the guest list would be. The grander the feast would be. Because it was essential, if you wanted to have a good feast, you had to include prominent well-known celebrities and individuals on the guest list, particularly in Jewish society where political leaders and respected religious leaders were always to be sure to be invited and they were sought after. If you could get a religious leader to accept your invitation, man, everybody, whoa, that guy went to your feast? Holy moly, I better be there. And so that's what brings up this idea of the RSVP. You guys can click that for me. Uh, the clicker's not working. Just click it forward for me. <clears throat> RSVP, so invitations to these feasts held much greater significance than our modern day wedding receptions or holiday parties. So these invitations were very official, formal, they were very expensive, they were hand-delivered by the host's most trusted high-ranking servants. For example, I would have Slater uh, <laughs> deliver my invitations. Now listen, these events were typically planned more than a year in advance. Excuses to not attend were very tough to come up with. Guests were carefully selected, only those who would be eager to attend or even feel obligated to attend would do so. 
So the RSVP rate was like 100%. Like if you sent someone an invitation, it was very rare that someone would say, I'm busy, I can't make it. Now, individuals in a lower class, society class of the host wouldn't even think of declining an invitation if they got it to a higher class feast. That would be unthinkable. Attending a feast like that could change the economic trajectory of your family for generations. If you showed up to this feast where all the important people are, declining it could result in severe consequences, including social, economic persecution, slavery, even imprisonment. That's how serious these parties are. You don't go, you go to jail. Might as well go. (laughs) And if the host had attended your feast that you threw, but you refused to attend theirs, this would be the ultimate slap in the face. For peers to decline an invitation was a public insult. Could result in the same social, religious, political, or economic retribution. John's readers understood the social significance of the feast culture when John talks about this marriage feast. They would connect this as a metaphor to the marriage supper of the Lamb, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they would understand the significance. So that's the history. Now here's the spiritual side, okay? I've called this section the victory feast. Now, I want you to see, just as a real quick reminder, throughout Revelation, there are several places where Revelation gives us two descriptions of the church. It's the church in battle and the church in victory. Some of you might remember that. The church in battle is every living believer on earth at any given time in redemptive history who are fighting against evil, wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces, and we're carrying out the Great Commission. At this moment, in redemptive history, it is our turn. You, I, we are the church in battle right now as we speak. The church in victory, on the other hand, includes all the saints who have died in Jesus or have been martyred. Our brothers and sisters before us who are excitedly waiting in the presence of God for the moment that our Jesus returns to get the rest of us to be with him forever. So in this passage, though, There is no more church in battle. In this passage, it's describing all the saints throughout redemptive history, past, present, and the ones to come, all gathered together in complete, total victory with Jesus. Babylon has been judged. The evil world has been cleansed and redeemed of all wickedness. And all the redeemed are gathered together, a great multitude from every tribe, every nation, Every moment in history, all of us with Jesus, and we see what's happening, we see the judgment of the wicked, and we see what's going on, and we just erupt. This is the big payoff. This is Revelation 19, 18 chapters we've been waiting for this. We've been waiting for our vindication. This is what John is describing in chapter 19. It is the greatest moment and the highest level of gratitude and affection any human who follows Jesus could ever have for anyone or anything at any given time. This is the pinnacle, the ultimate of emotional ecstasy. Babylon has fallen. The wicked, all of them, have been judged. The earth has been cleansed and prepared for its king. The smoke from God's judgment over the wicked is described in this passage as still rising forever. You know what that is a symbol of? Y'all, Babylon ain't coming back after it's gone. 
And with one voice, the redeemed declare the great, the scripture says in this passage, with one voice, all of us, the church in victory, declare the great and mighty works of Jesus, both his righteous judgments and his redemptive power in our lives. And it's about to get real. The reality and the scope of our victory is beginning to dawn on us as we all slowly gather around our king. We are preparing to enter the king's banquet hall for our wedding slash victory feast. The excitement is building. Oh man, we're getting ready to go into this wedding hall. This feast is getting ready to happen. I want to talk about the king's feast. The theology behind this idea of the marriage feast of the lamb and and how the guest list is filled and all of that is actually taught by the lamb, Jesus himself. And every detail is beautiful. So what I've done is something a little different. I'm going to put up a little bit of a lengthy passage of scripture, but what I've done is I've taken passage in Matthew and the passage in Luke that both describe this marriage feast parable, and I've written it myself into a a harmony for you, taking the most important parts and joining it all together. Uh, The words from Matthew will be in like a, a teal blue, and then the words from Luke will be in the white on the screen. I'm just going to read it for you, and I want you to pretend like I'm preaching, but I'm not. I'm just reading. I'm reading Jesus's words. He's way better at teaching it than I am. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. You see how that ties into Revelation 19? At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all made excuses. The first said, I just bought a field. I must go see it. Excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen or cows. I'm on my way to try them out. Excuse me. Another said, I just got married. I can't come. In other words, oh, I planned my wedding on the same day as your feast, even though I knew about it 10 months in advance. The servant came back and reported this to his master. He sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Please come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry. He sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned their city, Babylon. Then the king ordered his servant, the wedding feast is ready. But those invited were not worthy. Not one of those will get a taste of my banquet. So go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, bring into my feast as many as you find. Those servants went out and gathered the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, us. All whom they found, both bad and good. I'm glad they included both, aren't you? (laughs) And the servant said, sir, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room for your people at your feast. Then the master told his servants, go out to the roads and country lanes, and compel them. I'll give you a little word study on that later. Compel them to come in so that my house will be full. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. 
Not only did the people who refused the invite insult the king by refusing his invitation, but they also beat and mocked the servants who carried the invitation. Us. They chose to celebrate their lives with the great prostitute, the world system, and marry her instead of receiving the king's invite. They preferred their fields or their businesses or their leisure plans or their families or sleeping in over the invitation of the greatest wedding celebration ever. And I say sleeping in because there's another parable. You guys remember that one about the brides who were sleeping and were not ready when the bridegroom came. These are people that loved anything and everything that this world has to offer more than gathering with the king and his guests at the wedding feast. They were invited. They had plenty of time to respond. Perhaps up to a year. But they loved the world more than the king, and that ended up being for them a very poor choice. And when the feast day comes, the smoke still rises from the rubble of what's left of their world. And they mourn, we learned last week, and they cry, and they are livid, and they are angry. But the second list of guests, the poor, the lame, the persecuted, the rejected people, who really have no stature to even expect to be invited to the king's feast. They all know that they're unworthy, but the king orders his servants to compel them. The Greek word, compel, anankadzu. It means to force. But it's not like a a wrestling forcing. It's like a, a loving forcefulness. They're not going to come when you invite them, but don't give them a choice. Here's what it means. No, really. The king has invited you. Don't be afraid. Come on. Take my hand. I'll take you myself. Come with me. You know I'm his servant. I'll get you in. It's going to be awesome. Meet the king himself. You'll eat with him and celebrate his greatest moment in history as part of his family. For real, come with me. All the Father has given to me will come. There's the word compel. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given, but raise it up on that last day. That's what the word compel means. Isn't that beautiful? It's so rich. It's so full. It's so deep. And it underlines the sovereignty of God in salvation, that man is not capable. I don't care what anyone tells you. Man is not capable of choosing on his own. God must compel us in a loving, forceful way. No, for real. Take my hand. Let's go. We're going. Aren't you glad he took you by the hand and brought you into the feast? This is good theology right there, ain't it? I'm glad Jesus taught it that way. Here's the personal section. What about us? What are we supposed to do? I'm telling you, it's time for us to get ready for our feast. This was a sermon preview this week. Have you heard about the huge party that's been scheduled? Tons of people we know will be there. Have you been invited? What are you wearing? You better get ready. All right, so listen. The unredeemed in this world 
are way too busy and too obsessed with celebrating this life to even imagine the joy of our coming celebration. They have no concept of the great and mighty works of our Jesus, so why would they even want to bother to celebrate them? They are unimpressed by the invitation to the Lord's table that we are going to celebrate together in a few minutes and the one we're going to celebrate with our king on that day. As the church, though, we don't have to wait until that day to celebrate perfect justice and our future marriage to the Lamb. When that day comes, those who rejected the king's invitation, they will be mourning. Jesus calls it weeping and gnashing of teeth. But we, the ones who were compelled, we will be fully prepared to celebrate. We have been invited and compelled to attend. And at that moment when we were invited and we were compelled to attend, all our lives, the rest of our days on earth, have one primary purpose, the preparing for that celebration. And by faith we are called, we are motivated and inspired to practice and prepare for that wedding feast ahead of time. Each time we gather, that is what we do. You ought not miss a rehearsal dinner ever. That's why we celebrate even now. Excitement is building. We know the feast day is coming. So we want to be ready. That's why gathering on Sundays or in grace groups or at other times and special events, that should be one of our highest priorities over anything else we do. We are actively preparing for that great feast. And we must make sure as followers of Jesus who follow him wherever he goes to fight to make sure earthly things don't get in the way of our preparation. Because it's easy to let this world become a distraction from our preparation. It's easy for the things of this world to cause us to neglect gathering together to prepare. We get sidetracked. You ready? I'm going to meddle a little bit here. You might not like this. We get sidetracked by our fields that we have to go see. We get sidetracked by our businesses. We get sidetracked by our leisure activities. Even our families. Forgetting that the great feast day is coming. Church, we can't live like those who rejected the king's invitation. We can't let this life distract us from preparing for our great feast. Our lives, our whole lives, should be a pre-party preparation for our feast. The day the Lamb of God is united with His church forever. Paul says this, I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For You are all partakers with me of grace. Paul in one verse explains... It's going to happen, and here's why we should gather as much as we can, because we love one another, because we know that we are going to celebrate on that day. We're talking about it. What are you wearing? How are you getting there? You want to ride together? <laughs> but we don't just prepare for the coming day of the feast when we gather. We also celebrate According to this verse I just read, what Jesus is doing right now. 
He is completing the good work as I speak right here. He is calling. He is saving. He is transforming. And then he sends us out to invite others. We are his servants that invite those to come to the wedding feast. He's calling us to invite others to join in the preparation. That's why we celebrate now. His church, us, the church, we're not perfect yet by any stretch of the imagination. But we should celebrate as if we are. You see the difference? We know we're not, but we should celebrate like we are. We trust our Jesus when he says that he will fulfill his promises to keep his good work and complete it in us until the day he raises us all up. Now listen, sometimes that transformation of the church is evident. I see it in some of your lives right now. As you come to grips with some of the things that you've been struggling in your life, whether it be relationships or addictions or other things like that, and God is clearly doing something magical and miraculous in your life. So sometimes that transformation is really evident, but there are sometimes not so much. (laughs) But even when it doesn't look like it's happening, because we trust Jesus, we know he is completing that good work. It is happening. And it will continue to happen until the day of the wedding feast. Look at what God tells us in Isaiah. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow. So let me get a little food vulnerable with you. Can I just for a minute? Have you ever been to a wedding reception? Where they got, you know, like this is before the meal and people are walking around with those platters. You ever been that way? That's a good wedding. (laughs) I'm just telling you, like, I like weddings, but when they come out with like those appetizer platters, okay, I'm all about that. I can't explain why, but appetizers are just so much fun. You pop that first bacon wrapped scallop into your mouth. The jokes all become funnier, don't they? Everyone's laughing louder and talking louder and hugging and patting each other on the back. It's because of the appetizers, I'm telling you. I love appetizers, don't you? When you go out to dinner and you order appetizers, oh man, we aren't eating, we're feasting. Give me those mozzarella sticks. Mm-hmm. Listen, I've come to believe that the commercials the Applebee's commercials about appetizers and people laughing and smiling. Listen, I just think that's just good theology now. That's what I think. Applebee's gets it. <laughs> Come on, that was a good one, right? <laughs> Thank you very much. So if you think about it, the Lord's table is the greatest appetizer for the great marriage feast that we'll celebrate one day with our king. And when we celebrate around the Lord's table like we're going to do today, we do a few things. Yes, we celebrate the past and we celebrate and remember the cross and the sufferings of our Jesus. But we're also celebrating what he's doing now, completing that good work in us. And we are also preparing for the future celebration, the ultimate Lord's table, the wedding feast. Because let me tell you something right now. Jesus knows how to throw a party. And that party, that feast, will be way better than any Babylon party you can think of. Trust me. 
So this Lord's table is our spiritual appetizer. Celebrating how Jesus is preparing us, transforming us. It's a reminder of the day that he called you out of darkness, out of Babylon, into light. It is a reminder to save the date, if you will, and prepare for the great wedding feast. He's reminding us we are not of this world. We are the light of the world. Taking the invitation from the king to this great feast to as many as will hear the call to come out of Babylon and join us in our celebration. And he's giving us this fellowship. He's giving us this little taste of what the wedding feast with that innumerable guest, innumerable guest list will be like. So with that in mind, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to celebrate our preparation for the wedding feast. So what we're going to do, you guys uh, picked up these little uh, communion kits as you came in. I'm going to give you just a minute because it takes a moment, right? <laughs> Go ahead and open those up and get ready. And we're going to do the wine first, the grape juice, don't worry, in there. And then the bread. But not child of God proof. There we go. So when you guys, when a good number of you have figured out how to get that thing open, we're going to pray to reset our expectations. We're going to read some scripture. And we're going to celebrate the Lord's table maybe like you haven't ever celebrated it before. It's not always supposed to be, listen carefully, Listen, it's not always supposed to be a somber moment. It can be. But it can also be something that's reminding us that we have something great to look forward to. Look what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we eat that, it's not mystical. It's not magical. It's a metaphor. It's a reminder. The work of Christ on the cross is preparing us for a great feast. And this is just an appetizer. Now look at the next thing Paul says in the same passage. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And look what he says in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You are taking the invitation to others. 
So my church family, when we do that, this isn't about a religious experience. This isn't about doing something that makes you feel like you sin less. This is preparation for the day that there will be no more sin, no more sorrows, no more tears, no more pain, no more evil, no more darkness, just us, the church in victory, with our King forever and eternity, getting ready to enter into the banquet hall together. Heavenly Dad, we want to thank you so much that you have called us out of darkness, out of Babylon into light. Lord, thank you that you've helped us fall out of love with hope for things in this world, whether it be politicians or politics or money or materialism or addictions or parties, anything Babylon has to offer. We know that all of those are a distraction and a cheap counterfeit for the ultimate marriage feast. Lord, help us to have the wisdom, discernment, and discipline and motivation necessary to make our lives on this earth, all of it a preparation for that great day that you've invited us to. Help us to remember to save the date and prepare. Lord, continue to remind us we are not of this world, but we are a light in the world. Lord, give us courage, even though the world may reject it, may even treat us cruelly, give us courage to take this beautiful invitation from the King to all of those who need to hear it. And we trust your spirit to compel them, just like you compelled us. We thank you for this appetizer of that day when we will all feast together, bacon, rat, scallops and all. <laughs> the greatest party we could ever imagine. We thank you for the book of Revelation that so clearly spells this stuff out for us. Thank you that as we read it, we are definitely among those who are blessed. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, we love you. Have a great week.